take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We are still in a little mini-series about standing firm in the Lord. And standing firm is what Paul commanded us to do in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord. My beloved. So we're, we're asking the question, in what way? How are we supposed to stand firm? And we've seen so far four different ways that we must stand firm. If we live these out, we will be standing firm. Number one, we have to live in harmony. We have to be reconciled with one another. Yodi and Sintiki were struggling with that. We struggle with that. We need to be unified together. Number two, we need to rejoice in all circumstances. That was verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Number three, we need to be known for a gracious Humility. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. We need to be known for this. And number four, we looked at last week, don't worry, pray instead. Not don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, pray instead. Four different aspects of the Christian life that, if we are honest, are absolutely impossible to live out. I mean, think about just those four aspects. If we live out those four aspects, we will have no conflict. We will have no worries. We will have joy in every circumstance, and we will be gracious to everyone who is around us. This is a beautiful life. This is an impossible life apart from the gospel, and this is the reason why we are called as citizens of heaven to live like that, and this is just the outworking of what it looks like. So what do we have left? We have verses 8 and 9 in uh, our little mini-series to speak of standing firm. There are only two more aspects. We're going to cover one today and one next week, Lord willing, of what it looks like to stand firm. What else is left? Um, We're talking about a man who, or or a woman who is worry-free, anxiety-free, gracious and humble in all of their interactions, has no conflict, joyful in every circumstance. What is left? And that's why Paul begins verse 8 with the word, finally. That word, you could literally translate it, all that's left. There's not much left to talk about in the way of standing firm. And so this is all that's left. And it's just two more points. We're going to see one this morning dealing with the mind. All that's left is to talk about how you're supposed to think and then live that out as we'll talk about that next week. If you think about it, all of these aspects before being joyful, not being anxious, it all depends on what your thought life is. Is like What are you thinking about? If you are thinking about the right things, you'll be filled with joy. If you're thinking about the wrong things, you'll be filled with worry and anxiety. Being joyful is always dependent upon what you are thinking about and how you are thinking. Being gracious and humble is dependent upon what you think and how you think. If you think you're better than everyone else, then you're not going to be known for a gentle, gracious humility. And so Paul is going to in a verse that I know is familiar to all of you, he's going to look at the thought life of a believer. He's going to target our minds. I just want to read these verses together this morning, and then we'll dive into them. He says in verse 8, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, If there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. These two verses are the last 
two verses in this whole little series that he has. It's an aside of what he's been talking about, practical application. And in verse 10, he'll turn yet again to another issue. But he finishes this whole um, how to stand firm with these last two points. And we'll look at the first of these last two points just in verse 8 together this morning. What you think about, what's going on in your mind, how you think, what you think about, how you live based on what you think. What you think is crucially important. What you think about determines your character. It determines who you are. It determines your destiny. It determines what you will become. What you think about right now and how you think right now will determine how you will act this afternoon and how you will live tonight. I've heard it said, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. You're not what you think you are, but what you think That's who you are. What you think is who you are. There is a war taking place for your soul, and the main battlefield for that war is your mind. It's all about the mind, and that's why Paul says we got to think about the right things. John Stott said it this way, the battle of the Christian life is the battle for the mind. That's where it all begins. If you think about the gospel, the gospel is right thinking. You know that you are a sinner, The truth of the gospel changes your thinking. That's what repentance means. Repentance literally in the Greek means a change in your thinking that leads to a change in your living. And the gospel changes our thinking. We think that we're fine. We think that we are all that in a bag of chips. We think we're doing just fine. And then God graciously tells us, no, you're not fine. What you have awaiting you is eternal wrath if you do not turn. So a change in our thinking leads to a change in our behavior. But the battleground is the mind. That's where the change begins first. That's where it must change first. God made us this way. He made it so that if we lose the battle in our minds, we'll lose the battle everywhere else. He made it so that the mind is the control center of everything that we do. We don't take emotions captive to the obedience of Christ. We take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. That is the main battlefield. If you control your mind, you will control everything else. I just want to give you some verses by way of introduction Uh, Just to remind you of the truth. And I know that you know this, but we have to think about these things rightly. Just write these verses down. We won't turn to them for sake of time. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says this. For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. You are what you think. I know a lot of people think you are what you eat. You are what you think. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. So if we think rightly, we will live rightly. If we do not think rightly, we will not live rightly. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. You know those verses. Verse 2, specifically, don't be transformed or don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pushed into the mold mentally of what this world has to offer. Don't think like the world. And the reason we know he's saying don't think like the world is because then he will say, instead of thinking like the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't think like the world and thus don't act like the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not the renewing of your actions or your attitudes. Your mind renewed will renew your actions and your attitudes. So the mind is the battlefield. It is the main battleground. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Paul writes, we must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Literally, the way that Paul says it in the Greek is we must be being renewed. It's a constant activity that God does to us. It's a passive verb. We must be being renewed. So somebody renews us, 
And it's God who does the renewing in our minds through the study of God's word. When we study God's word, we are renewed by God because this is his word being spoken to us. This is his mind being given to us. So we must be renewed by the spirit of our mind, not of our behaviors. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, you know it. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above where you are seated with God. You are seated with Christ Jesus right now. And so you are to set your mind on who you already are in heaven and you will become like who you already are. It's all about the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul says we must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Everyone around us, everything around us is preaching something and we must listen to those somethings and take them captive to the obedience of Christ. So, we've seen four steps thus far in how to stand firm in the Lord. And we come to our fifth step this morning, which is this. We'll say it this way. Choose to dwell on the right things. Choose to dwell on the right things. You could say choose to think about the right things. But I just wanted to use Paul's word, dwell on these things. Standing firm is all about right thinking. If we would honestly look back and, and admit the times when we're not standing firm spiritually, the times when we are tossed to and fro spiritually, if we were to honestly assess those times, we could see that we were thinking something incorrectly about who God is, about who we are, about what the Scripture promises. We would see that we're thinking incorrectly, and our wrong thinking led to instability in our spiritual walk. That's why Psalm 139, you remember, we, we preached through that this summer. Remember the attributes of God, the character of God. He knows everything. He's everywhere. He sees everything. He loves us. He created us. He's all-powerful. And because of all of that, at the very, very end, you know the verses where David prays, test my heart and try my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. But that is a beautiful spectrum and an order my heart my thoughts my ways test my heart try my thoughts because wrong thoughts will lead to wrong ways will lead to wrong living so we must have if we are to have any real or lasting change in our lives we must change our thinking this is why this is why i think a lot of people struggle with the christian life because they hear do's and don'ts And they try to change these things on the outside, but they don't ultimately know the reason, whether good or bad. They don't know the motivation of why they should be changing their external actions. So I think when they change their external actions without changing their thinking about those actions, they can change it for a while. It's just moralism. It's just changing your actions to change your actions. It's behavior modification. Then before you know it, your thinking is still the same. And so you start living the exact same way. We have to figure out why we should live the way we should live, why we should not do certain things. And that's what Paul is going to help us with this morning. Think rightly, and if you choose to dwell on the right things, you will be spiritually stable. So let's dive in. He starts by saying, verse 8, Finally, brethren, so finally, all that's left, I've given you four points, and now there's only a little bit left, and here's what's left. You must do something. I love how he says this. I've given you points to do, and now you must do something about those points. Live this way. And then he says brethren or brothers, brothers and sisters. This includes us, right? This includes all believers. So this is for us. And then he's going to go through 
a list of holy things. Think about holy things. Don't think about anxiety-producing things in, in context. Don't think about um, troubling things that are causing strife in your midst. Think about the holy things that God would have you think about, and all these other things will work themselves out. You will start to be joyful in all circumstances. You will not be anxious for anything. You need to think a certain way, and that will change the way that you live. These are six. There are six here, six different specific criteria for what we must think about. And then, I love how Paul does this. He's so practical because there are six specific criteria, but it doesn't reach everything that we're going to think about. So he gives two general summary statements at the end of his six specific criteria. These are the rules. There are eight rules here. There are eight guidelines for a thought life that would honor God. And I love this about Paul as well. Only God's word fits the mold of what he's saying. So Paul could have written, finally, brothers, think about the word of God. Dwell on the word of God. But Paul knows us. He knows we cannot do that 24-7. He knows we have to interact with other people. He knows we have to be in the real world. He lived in the real world. And so he's giving us ways to live in our world and yet at the same time to think in God's world. Live in our world while thinking in God's. I love how practical he is. So just two points for us this morning. We're going to look at the aspects of the list and the application of the list. The aspects of this list, the eight different criteria, and then the application of the list. So let's start with number one, the aspects of this list. And the first aspect in this list of eight things is whatever is true. Finally, brethren, whatever is true true. It's defined as what is genuine and real, not what is false, not what is pretense. Turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 9. You remember Acts 12, the setting there is Peter is being released from prison by an angel, and he thinks it's a dream. If you go to Acts chapter 12, verse 9, he's been let go. The angel said, gird yourself in verse 8, put on your sandals. He did so. Wrap your cloak around you. Follow me. He did that. And then verse 9 says this, and he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. He thought this was just a vision, a dream. He didn't know that it was real. That word real there is the exact same Greek word in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, of whatever is true. We could say whatever is real. So it's, a, it's the opposite of false. It's the opposite of fake. It's the opposite of a lie. It's the opposite of unreliable or dishonest. It's authentic reality. And I love how Paul starts with this one. When we become anxious, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we become anxious is because we are playing out situations in life in the future wondering about how it's going to play itself out, and it hasn't even happened yet. It's not even reality. It's an imaginary future that's not real. It's not based in reality. And so Paul says, if you think about what's true, what's factual, what's real, that's one of the ways you won't be anxious, because I've got what's real today, and I won't worry about tomorrow or make up some imaginary uh, potential threat. When we worry, when we fear, we focus on what might be, what could be, instead of looking at what really is here. And they live in, people that do this live in an imaginary world of fear. So Paul says, think about what is true, what is real. Don't think about what is false or fake. 
We struggle with this, maybe not with anxiety. We struggle with this with, um, we could call it amusement, right? Even the word amusement. Um, the A in the front, like atheist, somebody who doesn't believe in a God. Um, if you put that A in front of muse, what is the word muse? It's to think about something, right? So amusement is not thinking. Uh, and I totally understand that there are times when we can do that. I don't think that the Bible says you can't enjoy amusement, right? This is not don't go to amusement parks. You totally get to enjoy amusement parks. You get to enjoy amusing things. But the point of amusement is really to turn your brain off and to be able to relax. And there's a good thing about that. But we have to be careful in our amusement that we don't get stuck in. For instance, think about fiction novels. Think about movies. Think about TV or video games. I know a lot of people that are so caught up in video games and they're making these worlds in these video games that as long as you keep the thing plugged in, they exist. But once you unplug it, the world's gone. And you've spent all of your time living in this imaginary fantasy world. It's not true. Paul says, think about what is true and what is real. Think about what is real. Do you struggle with this in the area of amusement? Do you struggle with this in the area of what you enjoy to do when you're relaxing? Again, I don't think that the Bible would say you cannot relax. In fact, there are commands to do that and to enjoy what God has given to us. But we have to be careful how we do that. Ephesians 4 tells us we must lay aside falsehood and speak truth. So if we think what is true, we will speak what is true. And ultimately, where we find what is reality, where we discuss and and discern and understand what reality is, is in the Word of God alone. Whatever the Bible says something is, that's the way it is. I love that about God's Word. If you have a question about life, when God's Word speaks to it, that's the way it is. We don't have to second-guess it, and I love that. So Paul begins by saying, whatever is real... Whatever is true, think about what's true. Don't think about the fantasies. Don't think about things that aren't true. Think about what's real, and you will be spiritually stable. Number two, think about what is honorable. He says, whatever is honorable. This word is used in Titus and Timothy to speak of the qualification for elders and deacons, and it's translated in those two places as dignified. So it's that which is noble, majestic. Demanding honor and respect, lofty, high thoughts, rightly elevated thoughts, dignified thoughts, revered thoughts, whatever is honorable. We live in a completely debased, vulgar society. Our world is unraveling around us like a cheap sweater. Our culture is just degenerating constantly and it's degrading and destructive. That's why Jesus says in John 17, we are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to have honorable thoughts, not worldly thoughts. I love the way one writer says it. We are to have our boat in the water of the world, but we don't want any water in our boat. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. If we are in the world and we are of the world, and the world is coming into us through our minds, that old saying, garbage in, garbage out, will be true of us. What we think upon, what we think about, will come out and wrong actions. If you focus on what is noble, what is honorable, right living, honorable living will come out. Honorable speech will come out. And we are supposed to do this because we are children of the king. Our father is an honorable king, and we are supposed to demonstrate that honorableness with those around us. We are royalty, um, heirs of royalty. And so we must think about things that are honorable and dignified. Whatever is true, whatever is noble. Number three, whatever is right. 
This is a very common word in the New Testament. You could translate it whatever is righteous. It's that which meets the standard. It's whatever conforms to God's character, whatever is in harmony with his being. This word's used in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in the Septuagint. It's used to speak of just weights and measurements. You have the scale, you have two sides of the scale, and you would put um, one certain weight measurement. You'd put an ounce on one side, and then you'd measure and weigh on the other side whatever you were selling or whatever you were being sold. And so merchants would have unrighteous, unjust measurements. They would say that something was an ounce, but it really wasn't, so they would make more money by lying. And so God commands Old Testament Israel, he says, you must use just weights and measurements, righteous weights and measurements. That's the same word that's used here. Whatever is right, righteous, just, it conforms to the standard of what is approved by God and demonstrated by God's character himself. Only think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right. Number four, whatever is pure. This is moral purity. This is holiness. This is uh, used, this word's used in the New Testament often to speak of the contrast of sexual immorality. It's whatever is clean, uncontaminated, whatever is unpolluted. Turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 is very helpful. Jesus' words in Mark 7, you remember the Pharisees are saying you should wash your hands ceremonially before you eat or else you'll become unclean. And Jesus' words in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, he says this, That which proceeds out of the man, that is that what defiles the man. That is what defiles him. What proceeds out of him is what defiles him. For, verse 21, From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, he starts with the thoughts. Within our, it's your thinking. And evil thinking leads to fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within, from your thinking to your external actions. So Paul says, think on what is pure, and you'll have pure living. If you think about what is pure, you will have purity in your living. What do you choose to think about? I think one of the reasons why we often don't worry about what we're thinking about and don't really care is because nobody can see it. If everybody could see what we were thinking about, I think we'd be a little bit more careful about our thought life. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure. And then number five, he says, whatever is lovely, whatever is lovely, this word is actually used here in the New Testament alone. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament. It refers to, there's many different ways you could translate it. It refers to that which inspires love. That which people consider lovable or attractive or beautiful. Think about what is beautiful and what is attractive. One writer says it this way, Those things which give pleasure to all and cause distaste to none, like a welcome fragrance. That's what we are supposed to be thinking about. That is what is lovely. It's welcome to all and gives pleasure to all and causes distaste to none. So you could say it's the opposite of disgusting. Think about whatever is lovely and not whatever is disgusting. I would just ask our hearts this question. If 
people could get inside your head and look at your thoughts, would they be disgusted by what you think about? Or would they find it attractive? We want to think about things that are lovely and lovable and attractive. And I'm not just talking about um, debased things or sexual immorality. That's what's addressed in whatever is pure. What about sarcastic comments that come out of our mouths about other people? Biting comments, passive-aggressive speech. If people could get in our minds and hear the thoughts that we're thinking as we're saying these things that don't sound too bad, but we know they're coming from a heart that just hates that other person. This passage says, don't think about those things. Think about things that are lovely, lovable, attractive. Number six, think about things that are of good repute. Think about things that are of good repute. This word as well is only found in the New Testament here. So we have lovely, which is only used here in the New Testament. We have of good repute, which is only used here in the New Testament. And it means to think of things that have a good reputation among those who love God. It's what is well spoken of among those who love and treasure Christ. What is highly regarded by God? What is highly regarded by those who know God? What do God's people love? What does God love? What is of good repute? That's what we must think about. This is why Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 4 say there shouldn't be any silliness or filthy speech or coarse jesting. There shouldn't be any of those things coming from our mouths because those things originate in our minds of things that God would not look upon favorably. He wouldn't esteem highly. Those things are not of good reputation. And so Paul says, only think on that which is of good repute. Six things in this list so far that are very specific. But again, I love Paul. He knows that we would have questions and say, well, what about this? It's not really in the list. What about this? This is kind of outside the list. How do I do this? How do I deal with this? And so he gives us two final aspects of this list that are really summary statements, overarching statements. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, If there's any excellence, that's number seven on our list of eight things. If there's any excellence, this is often translated, that word excellence is often translated virtue or moral excellence. If there's any moral excellence in what you are thinking about or in what you are dwelling on, think about it. If there isn't moral excellence in it, then don't think about it. And then finally, if there's anything worthy of praise... This is both man's praise and God's praise. Again, God's people saying, that is good, that is honorable, that is of good repute. Think about that. Eight things on this list that Paul says, these are the things we are to think about. And that is the command. He says, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell or ponder these things. This word dwell is a command. This is God's command to us. We must think. He's commanding us to think. And this word dwell is actually where we get our word uh, logarithms. Um, Careful mathematical equations and calculations. Um, That's what this Greek word means. We get our word logarithms from it because what Paul is saying is, Think carefully as you do the math on this one. As you would calculate and reason and figure these things out, think the same way. This isn't just randomly think about these things. This is a careful, intentional concentration about these aspects of godliness, of holiness. 
concentrate, evaluate, consider, calculate, reckon these things. And don't think about anything else. And it's in the present tense. This word dwell is in the present tense, which means keep on every moment of every day. Keep on thinking about these things. We could say it this way. Habitually discipline your mind to think about these things. It's a discipline. Why do we need to discipline our minds? Why does Paul even bring these things up? Why does he say, I'm going to tell you how you are supposed to think, what you are supposed to think about, and what you are to refrain from thinking about? Why is thinking such an issue? I read in one article that the brain processes over 10,000 thoughts every day. So you have 10,000 things that you're thinking about during the course of a day. Some thoughts are forced upon you. Sometimes you can't originate the thought. It's just forced upon you. Some thoughts you originate, you get to choose. And then some thoughts just pop into our heads. You ever have thoughts that just pop into your heads and you think, man, where did that come from? Some of them kind of scare you. Some of them just make you laugh. Where did that thought come from? What am I thinking about? Why am I thinking about this? One commentator said it this way, and I thought this is so helpful. He said, we have thoughts that pop into our head, right? And those aren't wrong. If, if they're wrong thoughts and we don't dwell on them, it's okay. Move on. Sometimes things just pop into our mind. And he says this, it's true that a bird can land on your head but you don't have to let it build a nest there. It's true that thoughts can pop into our minds. Sometimes they're forced on us. Sometimes we think about them. Sometimes they just pop up in our minds, but we don't have to let them build a home there. We can move on. And I think that John Owen is most helpful here. He says this, if we are to think like Christians, we can test ourselves by asking whether our spiritual thoughts are like guests visiting a hotel or like children living at home. So we've got good thoughts, spiritual thoughts. When you're thinking about the right things, things that conform to this list, are those things like guests visiting a hotel, or are they like children living at home? There's a temporary stir going on in this quote. There's a temporary stir and a bustle when guests arrive, yet within a little while they leave and they're forgotten. The hotel is then prepared for other guests. So it is with religious thoughts that are only occasional. They come and go, but they don't stay. They're not a permanent resident. But children belong to their home. They are missed if they don't come home. Preparation is continually being made for their food and their comfort. Spiritual thoughts that arise from true spiritual mindedness are like the children of the house, always expected and certainly inquired of if missing. Children, if missing from the home, you don't go, eh, they're somewhere. You're asking, where'd they go? If you think about the right things and that becomes your habit and you dwell on the right things, when those things start going away, you're not going to say like you would do a guest, goodbye, I'll see you sometime later. You're going to say, wait a second, don't leave. Where are you? Come back. And that's why Paul says we must dwell. This must be our practice to dwell on these things. Don't let them just become... A thought here and there throughout the day. Focus your mind and your attentions. Dwell on these things alone. So how do we do this? This is a list. And if we just read the list, I don't think it's incredibly practical or helpful. Verse 9, I I believe, is actually one of the ways that we do this. We look at others who do this well and think these ways and think these things. And we practice the same thing that they're doing. We ask them how they live that way. And we're going to get to verse 9 
next week. But I just want to give you four helpful points of application. I found these to be helpful. How are we to live this way? How are we to dwell today on the right things? What are we supposed to do from this list? Say, Paul, what are we supposed to do? I know we're supposed to dwell. How do we live this out? Number one, this is the application of the list. So we've got the aspects of the list, eight points. Now we have number two here, the application. How do we apply this? Number one, we need to beware of unbiblical philosophies that influence us. If it's all about our thinking, we need to be aware of unbiblical thinking, unbiblical philosophies, unbiblical worldviews that influence us. We are always bombarded every day by other worldviews. Every day, every second, every hour, every moment. If you go home this afternoon and you turn on a football game to watch, the first commercial that you see will have a sermon being, being preached to you about how you are just next to nothing if you don't own a Jaguar. Or how if you really want to pick up a girl, you have to shave with a Gillette razor. Um, you will be preached to left and right every second of the, the day when you have a TV on. Every moment that the TV's on, you'll have, even when commentators are talking about a game, there's a worldview that they're coming from. That's why, and I encourage you to write it down, we don't have time, but Second Corinthians chapter 10, I already quoted it and you know it, um, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But in context, Paul is saying there are all these philosophies and worldly speculations that are preached to us and we need to take those captive to the obedience of Christ. We need to take those thoughts captive to what God's word says because unbiblical, ungodly philosophies can destroy our thinking. And it's everywhere. Secular humanism, moral relativism, it's just everywhere. It's all over the place. So one of the ways we apply this sermon is think about what you're thinking about. Think about what people are saying to you. What is the worldview behind what somebody is saying? If you watch a movie, this is not, now don't watch any movie. This is not that sermon. I don't think that sermon is present in the scriptures. This is not, now you are not allowed to ever watch television again. What it is, is watch television with discernment. There are going to be things that are absolutely categorically wrong to watch. There are going to be things that are absolutely categorically right to watch. And in the middle, the large middle, I, I think that the spectrum is kind of shrinking on the good side and the middle side, and it's just huge on the bad side of things you shouldn't be watching. But in the middle, there is a gray area of discernment. And the question is not, can I or can't I watch it? It's how will you watch this? What is being preached to you? When you read a book, this is not, you cannot read a fiction book. When you do read fiction, how are you reading it? Are you reading with discernment? Do you know the worldview that the person is trying to present to you? And are you able to take that captive to the obedience of Christ? If you are, that becomes a worthwhile pursuit. That becomes a worthwhile pursuit to grow your discernment to be able to understand what is being preached to you. We need to beware of unbiblical philosophies that would influence us. Number two, to apply this message, we need to guard our thinking from dwelling on the opposite of these virtues. We need to guard our thinking from dwelling on the opposite of this list. Don't dwell on the opposites. Don't dwell on what is false, what is dishonorable, what is unjust, what is impure, what is unlovely, what is not of good repute. Don't dwell on those things. And so I think the best way we can apply this is to think 
this afternoon when we go away from this sermon, where do I normally struggle in my thinking in these areas? Maybe you say, I have very pure thoughts. It's not purity, but maybe I get stuck in fantasy worlds. I get stuck in just daydreaming all the time or thinking about what isn't reality. We need to guard our thinking from dwelling on the opposite of these virtues. And the sad reality, again, is all of the opposite of these holy virtues are constantly forced down our throats. Constantly. We need antivirus software for our brains. We need something that can say, warning, warning, that's impure, that's unrighteous, that is not true or not lovely. And so we need to guard our thinking. Number three, we need to choose to dwell only on the things that meet these standards. We need to choose, so this is the opposite of number two, instead of guarding our thinking from the opposite of these virtues, now dwell and choose to dwell only on the things that meet these standards. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, 21, where Paul says, Hold fast to what is good and let everything else go. Sift through it. We need a good mental sieve of discernment that we can take the good, leave the bad, throw it away. Think only on the good things. I want to give you an example of this because I think, I think that somebody could hear this sermon and say, yeah, this is modern psychology. Just think differently. If you're afraid, think about happy things, which I think is so ironic because happy things can be totally different for everybody, right? If you're afraid, think about what's happy. Okay, I'm afraid of something that's going on in my life right now, so I'm going to think about, um, you know, a circus with clowns. Well, that could be really bad for other people. They don't like that. You know, that could be very um, fearful for some people. That, that process in modern psychology of just kind of replace. It's, it's not really replace. It's just kind of a smoke screen. Modern psychology calls that sublimation um, to just, if you're afraid, think about something that makes you happy. Um, so somebody breaks into your house, you're scared for your life, you're sitting in the corner of your room, and you're just thinking about puppies just licking your face. That's sublimation, right? That's, that's just, I'm not going to think about the fear. I'm going to think about happy thoughts. And that's not what this passage is talking about. Um, this is not modern psychology. This is not just change your thinking. Um, think about something that doesn't scare you. Biblically, the way to do this is to confront the sinful issue or to confront the wrong issue or the issue that you're afraid of. So let's take the example again. Um, you are, your house is broken into, you are scared for your life and you are afraid. Confront that thought with biblical truth. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. and God, whose word I praise. God will be on my side. If God is for me, who can be against me? They can take my life. But God will meet me when I see him face to face and I'll be in paradise forever. That's not just um, think a happy thought. It's like Peter Pan, if you want to fly. You know, just think of a wonderful thought and you'll be okay and you can fly. This is work. This is Figure out what's wrong with the thought. Confront it biblically. Confront it with the promises of God's word. Deal with it. Destroy it. Take it. every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And Paul says in that passage, tear down and destroy all the other thoughts and then live upon the right thinking. This is talking to yourself, as we've said many times before, instead of listening to yourself. This is really, really hard. This is very tiring. This is why I believe every day 
believers should go to bed very tired. Every day, believers should go to bed very tired. And that's why sleep should be such a beautiful thing to you. Because you have done the hard work every day of taking thoughts captive and saying, I shouldn't think this, I should think this instead. And taking them captive to the promises of Scripture. Thinking happy thoughts, that is like putting a band-aid over a gaping heart wound. It might hold a couple ounces of blood and then you're done. You need to do radical surgery and that's what this passage is saying. So we must choose to dwell on the things in this list. And whenever we see things that aren't of this list, we must figure out why we're thinking about them and put on the truth. Number four in our application, we must constantly choose every day to meditate on God's word. As I said, we need an antivirus and God's word is the antivirus. So we need to constantly choose every day to meditate on God's word. This is why Psalm 1 says that the man who is blessed is the man who meditates on the word day and night. He knows what is true, therefore he can take bad thoughts, sinful thoughts, wrong thoughts, captive to the truth and have biblical thinking. We need a biblical worldview. We need biblical thinking. We must choose every day to meditate on God's word. Only God's word meets all of these eight points. Only God's word does. Only Jesus Christ contains the perfection of all of these eight things. And so we must think this way. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, Verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above. And then later he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In your midst, let it dwell in you. Because if you think this way, you will be standing firm in the Lord. What you choose to think about determines everything about you. It determines who you are, who you will become. It determines your destiny. What you think matters. So can I just plead with you? Um, for application, for this sermon. Go, go home today and get with the Lord and pray the prayer that David prays in Psalm 139. Try my heart, test my thoughts, try my anxious thoughts. I know that I think wrong thoughts. Reveal them to me so I can change. Reveal them to me so that I can change. And then lead me in the everlasting way. Paul gives us eight guidelines in choosing what we allow into our minds. Must be true, must be honorable, must be right, must be pure must be lovely, must be of good repute, must be excellent, and must be worthy of praise. If you think this way, if you engage with these thoughts, if you meditate on them, if you let your mind just marinate in these truths, you will stand firm and no wrong thoughts or wrong actions or trials or tribulations will be able to sway you. And that's why we are going to sing the song that we're going to sing, Be My Vision. Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. I need to be able to see rightly what is true, what is noble, what is honorable. I need to see that rightly. So be my vision. I don't want to see these things on my own with my fleshly eyes. I want you to be my guide. Let me think on the true thoughts. Let me feel the true feelings because I think what is true. And let God be honored as we dwell and choose to do so intentionally, as we dwell on the holiest of holy things, the things that God himself images to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your word that is so practical. Thank you for Paul not living in la-la land, so to speak, and just saying, think about the Bible, and that's it. Thank you for his amazing uh, practical help to say, there are so many things that you can think about. Here's six things, and then here are two overarching statements that can help you.
And God, we don't want to just think about the right things to do that and cross that off the list. We want to think about the right things so that we can live rightly. We don't want to think about the wrong things and by doing that become anxious people, prideful people. God, I pray that you would make CBC a place where we think so hard every day that we're exhausted by the time night falls. And that we would do it because we want to image Jesus and his excellencies that are seen and contained in this list to the watching world around us. So God, we pray that you would be our vision. Our hearts need help. Our minds need the antivirus of your word. We need you. And so we pray now through this song, be our vision and let nothing else, let nothing else become what we are satisfied in or with, but Jesus Christ alone. We pray it in his name. Amen.